for listening to this message from the Altar Fellowship. Thank you. Well, you've got me today. Uh, the, the Montgomerys are at the upper room in Texas right now. And so, Lord, bless all of their efforts and work there right now in Jesus' name. And uh, let, let there be an extension of what you're doing here, there, and let them bring back an extension of what you're doing there, here. It's good, eh? Okay, I'm just going to jump straight into this one. So, if you've got your Bibles with you, then I'm going to read from Mark chapter 6. That's Mark, not, that's Mark. Oh my goodness me. Um, where are the Vances? Ah, uh, like Audra, your little girl. I was like, I, I was holding her for so long during the worship time and uh, it's actually really heavy now just to hold the microphone. <laughs> like, like I got a workout just holding that kid. <laughs> when we first came here in 2019, um, holding kids was a lot easier back then. I don't think it's because I'm four years older. I think it's because the kids are getting bigger. So there you go. But Uncle Ian is always good for it. Okay, Mark chapter six. Going to give you, no, I'm gonna, I'll, read, I'll read the passage first to you. So we're going to read this right the way through. Verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. I'll, I'll tell you what's happening here uh, in a minute. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at, at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marvelled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Just give a little bit of background as to what's happening here. So it's, it's only just been very, very re recently, like it was only some weeks earlier to this event, that Jesus had called his 12 together and he'd paired them up into twos and he said, go into the surrounding district, into all the villages and go and heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers and tell them that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so, that's, so they went out there and it was an incredible time. Like they saw so many miracles. This was a, a mission trip like nothing that they'd ever been involved in before. I mean, it was it was easy for them when Jesus was physically present 
was sort of like Jesus is doing everything and when they, they themselves might have been joining in the ministry, but Jesus is there. Like, I mean, you, you can really believe a lot when you can physically see Jesus standing right beside you. You know, if you hear him say, just put your hand here and say this. Well, I think, you know, with that kind of experience, then you just, you, you are plugged in, you're believing, you're riding high, you're not, you're not blown away by the fact that it actually worked. You expected that it would work. You're hanging around with Jesus. And, but now he sent them out and they're on their own. Not only that, but, well, okay, if, if you were like, if you were te- teamed up together with Peter, well, okay, maybe if you teamed up with James or John. No, it didn't work like that. James and John were their own team. You know, it's just like, see, chances are you did not get to hang around with one of the bigwigs, like, and I don't call them the bigwigs, just, but like the, the real faith guys, the believers, you know, you're just with the other nine most of whom you don't even know their names. It's just, what was your name again? Just, you know, and so, but they went out there two by two and it wasn't just when they came back at the end of it. It wasn't just that Peter, James and John were coming back and saying, man, you've got to believe all the miracles we saw. Everybody was like that. Thomas was in that group. Thomas, who Christians call Doubting Thomas, which is so unfair because he's a believer He's a great believer. He has the greatest Christian confession in the entire Bible. My Lord and my God. That's what, that's what Thomas said at the resurrection. Like, I mean, so unfair that we call him doubting Thomas. Uh, Judas was amongst them. Judas, who would betray Jesus. And then when he realised that all of his plans had gone south and that it, he'd ruined everything, he became suicidal. I mean, he was in this group too. They all came back and they've just got these miracles happening everywhere. And and that's at the very beginning of Mark chapter 6. And as it goes on, Jesus is just like, there's so many people coming because now it's not just Jesus who's healing the sick. It's like there's 13 of them now. There's, there's, like, there's like Jesus and 12 other little Jesus running around. Just like, so you've got to believe the kind of miracles that are happening everywhere. And, and, and so, well, you could just imagine if there was a surefire cure for anything that you might have as a condition and you knew that it was sitting there beside the Sea of Galilee, well, you're going you're gonna to go there. Like if you knew it was a surefire cure, Cure, you know, if if your if your father or your uncle was was you know with terminal cancer or something like that, you would bundle them up and you would take them, you know. If you yourself needed, you know, had some infirmity or condition, you would go, and you would be expecting to see something happen. So many people were coming who had needs that Jesus and the disciples they didn't even have opportunity to sit down and, and eat like they're just it's just too busy they're just going from one ministry to the next and there's not even a break in between and so Jesus just to top it all off John the Baptist has just been executed uh, by Herod so so 
one of their great religious icons, John the Baptist, the one who introduced Jesus to the world, the one who was the voice in the wilderness that Isaiah prophesied about. Uh, like he's just been killed, like not just executed, like they chopped his head off. Like this is shocking. This is, this is awful. And so in the midst of amazing miracles, too much ministry, frightening time that one of your heroes has just had his head cut off and Jesus says to them, let's just go away to a desert place. Let's go away. Um, and so that they get to the desert place and thousands of people find out where it was and word just gets around the grapevine and next minute there are 5,000 men they didn't count the women and the children, so how many more were there? Let's just say conservatively 15,000 people. They're in the wilderness and that's where you get the feeding of the 5,000. Okay, so there's just been that great miracle. Okay, Jesus at the very end of that, it's becoming evening right now. And Jesus says, says okay, guys, get in the boat and go across to Bethsaida. Okay, now Bethsaida, if you, if, uh, if you can think of uh, the Sea of Galilee, then Bethsaida is right up the very top. There's a little bit of conjecture and argument as to where the feeding of the 5,000 was. Um, you know, the traditional site is over on the west uh, coast of the Sea of Galilee. It's probably not likely um, because uh, it was supposed to be a desert place and that part of the world... Uh, at that time is very, very populated. So chances are it was on the eastern uh, banks of the Sea of Galilee. So they've been there, they've had that. Jesus goes up into a mountain to pray. He dismisses the crowd and here's where we get our story. So let's just go back and go through it verse by verse. Verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples go into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. So you can just see what's happened. He's just like, guys, get in the boat, head over there to Bethsaida. I'll, I'm, I'm going to dismiss everybody. They have no idea what is about to happen. The, all they know is that they're in a boat. Jesus has told them to get in the boat. They've gone in the boat. And they're just, they're following orders, yeah? So when you follow orders from Jesus, everything goes great, doesn't it? It doesn't go great for these guys. But I want to start off so that you understand fully, these people are exactly where Jesus wants them. Christians talk about, you know, the will of God and, you know, finding the will of God, like, well, we could have an amazing little discussion about that and get very convoluted. And uh, I'm sure I could confuse a number of people on that one too. But uh, if anyone is in the will of God, it's these disciples. So just because things don't look right in your world, it doesn't mean 
that you're out of step with God. We've got this really ancient, uh, it's a superstition amongst, amongst humans. If bad things are happening, then it's because I've done something bad. And if I do something good, then good things will happen. It was the problem that the Israelites had when they came back from Babylon at the, at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, in the days of the Persian Empire when they came back. You see, because they figured that they were in Babylon, they'd gone into exile because they were bad. And in fact, they were. Okay, so they had done the wrong thing. Moses had told them what will happen if, uh, if they do the wrong thing. He, Moses had already said, you can read about it uh, in the first five books, that if you do the wrong thing, if you break the covenant, then I'll send you to the, I'll, I'll kick you out of the land that I've given you. But if you're in that land and you repent and turn back to me, then I'll bring you back home. And so that's exactly what had happened. They came back home, they repented. Like these, they really repented. You've got to believe there was a national revival amongst the Jewish people in the, in the days of the Persian Empire. It was a huge revival. They did everything right and they just went, from one, being dominated from one world empire to the next. The Persians, then the Greeks. There's a little brief time in there uh, under the Maccabees when they, they had self-determination. Then straight away in comes the Romans. Just like they just went from one oppression to the next and yet they did everything right. And that's why you get some books in the Bible that are actually dealing with all of that. Um, just, no, I won't go there. I'm going down a red, I'm going down a rabbit trail. That's how you say it here, isn't it? It's a problem of humans. We, th we think that if we're doing exactly what God wants us to do, then everything is going to go well. We have a saying here in this church, don't we? If it's not good yet, if it's not good now, it's about to be. If it's not good now, it's about to be. If it's not good now, the story just isn't over yet. That's it. You're just not at the end of the story yet. So just because the waves are coming in, okay, let's keep reading because there is going to be a great lesson for us in this one. First thing to note, though, is that they're following orders. Okay, so we, we read on verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. That would have been an interesting prayer meeting just to watch that one, true? Verse 47. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Verse 48. Then he saw them straining at, at rowing for the wind was against them. Okay, now, maximum uh, east to west distance of the Sea of Galilee. It's probably a little bit hard to determine now because the sea is actually shrinking uh, over time and so the desert is reclaiming that whole area. Um, but it's somewhere between five to ten miles uh, from east to west. It's... 
It's longer north to south, but not significantly longer. So Jesus is there on, on the coast. He's up on a hill somewhere. He looks out. It is night time, um, but he's able to see well enough because they're only really a couple of miles away. Okay, so just try and picture that in your mind. Like he can just make out where the boat is and it's in the middle of the sea, righto. They're on their way. Remember, they were going to go up to the north, up to, uh, uh, up to Bethsaida. All right, so it says, Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, fourth watch of the night, that's about, uh, so uh, the night is broken up into four watches. Each, it's the Romans did that. Uh, each watch uh, for the sentries who are on duty on the wall, uh, three hours long. So the fourth watch is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. <laughs> Jesus sent them off when it was, as evening was approaching. So let's just say he sent them off at 7 p.m., shall we? Just make it up. Uh, and let's just say he's going to come to them at the beginning of the, third, of the fourth watch, so it's 3 a.m., but it could be as late as 6 a.m., okay? These guys have been doing it hard for hours. Like, they've been working hard for eight hours. It is only miles. Now, I don't know those of you who ever... Uh, done any rowing. There's a time uh, some years ago, um, before I was a Christian, a few of us from university decided we'd go down to the Gold Coast, uh, just south of Brisbane where I lived, and uh, there's this major big uh, river system that uh, went out to the coast. And we decided that we would get into like, a, a, like I suppose you call them kayaks, uh, just canoes. So we, we had a, a bunch of canoes uh, there were not a bunch, there were only two of us. Sorry, there were two canoes because there's four of us. And so we're out there and we just start, we thought what we would do because, you know, we weren't that far from the coast and we thought we would actually just row inland against the current, just go inland. And, uh, and so we're just, we're paddling away and no one ever told us this, but on the map, it's really easy to see which way you go. You just go inland, but you try it when there's a big island there in, in the river. You don't know which way is which. Like all you know is that you've just come to a fork in the river and you don't know which one you're supposed to take. So we just were, were paddling and paddling and, and so we thought, well, let's take the left one. Wrong move. Because... We were actually going to go round, the, round that island and come back on the other side of it. And so we just went out there. And of course, we're rowing like anything. Next minute, it blew an absolute gale. Like, uh, so if you can imagine, wasn't as bad as a cyclone, hurricane in your language, but it's like, it's particularly, particularly windy, right? And we're sitting there and we and the wind is completely against us. We are struggling hard just to navigate down the length of this island. And at this point, we still don't know that we're heading out towards the coast. Okay, now, just maybe a mile out there 
is the surf. It's the Gold Coast, okay? Australian East Coast surf is amazing, perfect. Um, and where a river comes out, you get these massive sandbars and you get, like it is dangerous to try and actually navigate through the sandbar and get out. Like it's actually, it's really dangerous, you know, and boats get, get swamped trying to do it. There's actually a real art to get in your motorboat and get, uh, get across from where the, where the river is going out to sea. It's not as simple as you might think. You all live here in, in the inland. It's just like for those of you who've lived on the coast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just like this is like full on. And so we're struggling like anything. And then we get to the end of the island. So now we can see and we just realised that's where we started from. We'd been going for hours just working really hard and we have not gotten anywhere. It's like it has been really, really hard work. So we just pulled in to where our cars were parked <laughs> and we just slept in the cars. <laughs> Unbeknownst to us, the next day, because so one of the guys in our group, he'd brought down his two teenage sisters with him and they were going to go and party uh, in one of the nightclubs uh, there. Um, and so we were going to meet them sort of like the, the next afternoon, you know, just there back. I don't know if we'd worked out where we were going to meet them. Anyway, they, were, they got there and we weren't there. We were nowhere to be found. And so eventually they went to the police. So the police have got the Coast Guard because they've, they've talked to some of the local fishermen and those fishermen said, yeah, we saw those two canoes. They were heading out to sea. And so, so the Coast Guard goes up and down the coast looking for, you know, these four young adults who've been eaten by sharks. Um, and uh, no, we were just there in our car. It all worked out well. I just want to say all of that to tell you they might only be a couple of miles offshore, but this is hard work. They are getting nowhere. They have been rowing since seven o'clock the night before. It is now at least 3 a.m. They have been rowing for at least eight hours. Do you want to know? Their muscles are not like they've just held a kid for 20 minutes. They are shot. This actually is working out really badly for them. Because the tireder they get, the more likely they are to get in trouble. And so, okay. It's interesting that Jesus waited until 3 a.m., 6 a.m. He could have got there earlier. I mean, goodness me, he's praying. You're allowed to pray while you walk, Jesus. <laughs> he could have dismissed the crowd and just like, Come on, Father, let's go for a walk on this water and we'll catch up to the boys. You know, he could have done that. That would have been so easy. He could have been to them. They're only a couple of miles away at any point in time. You know, like, so 
They're a 30-minute walk. He's not far away and he waits. He can see that they're in trouble and he just waits. That's a sobering little thing about Jesus. The sobering thing is, is that you never graduate from the school of faith. You never graduate from the school of faith. He is always going to stretch you beyond what you think you can endure. If he hasn't come to you walking on the water yet, it's because it's not time yet. Believe, be a believer. John chapter 6, let me just flip over to a couple of verses. John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29 says this. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? This, is, this actually happened during the feeding of the 5,000, this particular little passage. And they just said to Jesus, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? What, will we do? what does God want us to do? Just tell us what he wants us to do. Like, what do we got to do? What's a good idea? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Oh, like, really? That's it. That's the work. That is the school that Jesus enlists us all in. When you said yes to him, you didn't know that you enrolled, but you enrolled. You enrolled in school. It's the school of faith, okay? And you are not going to graduate because he is... God is a, is a faith God. You have to understand that He's all about faith. By faith, we understand that the worlds were, were formed by the Word of God. God calls those things who are not as if they are. God's, God, God speaks into the darkness and says, let there be light. Like, he's just, He just believes that what He says happens and it happens. Like, God is a faith God. Did you know that God believes in you? God believes in you. God believed in these 12. Jesus believed in his disciples. He said, get in the boat and go to Bethsaida. They get in the boat. They are struggling, but Jesus, is, he's fine. They're not gonna die. This is gonna be good for them. Boys, start believing. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, verse six up on the screen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Just let that be known. Without faith, you can't do it. You can't do it. It's impossible to please Him. He will never be happy with you unless you believe. You've got to be a believer. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But the corollary of that must also therefore be true, yeah? Therefore, with faith, it is possible. Now, I'm not talking about this great, robust, amazing faith that you just like forever above and not below and you're forever the head and not the tail and like you just forever, just like you go from one degree of glory to the next and, you know, just, that's not that. Because as, as the verse goes on to say, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. Do you believe that he is? Do you believe that He's there? 
If you didn't believe that he was there, you wouldn't pray. Back in World War I, they used to say that uh, there are no atheists in the foxholes. Like if you're facing your death, you're not an atheist anymore. Like the great thing about the atheist, the atheist says that uh, he doesn't believe in God. Guess what? God doesn't believe in the atheist. You really do believe, boy. Just like, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not half-heartedly seek him. Those who diligently seek him. Yeah, I'm open. If God wants to bless me, he can do that. Oh, like, you know, if God wants to give me the gift of tongues, he can do that. If he, he, I'm open, like, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Like, if God wants to heal me, he can heal me. Those who diligently seek him. It's just, it's it's a part of who he is. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22, famous passage. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. See that word faithfulness? You've probably, if you've heard me speak any number of times, you've heard me say this one before. Um, the, The Greek word there is the word for faith. So... It's, it's faith. Faith is a, is a fruit of the Spirit. Faith. Well, I want to just, here's a great little revelation that I had a while back. Um, what does that verse say? The fruit of what? The fruit of the Spirit. Whose fruit is it? It's the fruit of? Whose spirit, whose, whose fruit is it? It's just like, you're just scared, aren't you? It's just, I don't trust you, Pastor Ian. Just if I get the wrong answer, I'll just say Jesus. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit belonging to the Spirit. It's the Spirit's fruit. Do you think that the Spirit has got plenty of love, plenty of joy, plenty of peace. Do you think the Spirit is like, has long suffering down, is kind, is good, is full of faith? It's, he's got it. It's not about you believing, it's about linking arms with the one who is full of faith. It's not about your faith. It's about His. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You need more faith? You just need more of the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. That's all it is. You just need more. You just need to be closer to Him. You, like you struggle with any of the fruit of the Spirit. Well, just get your eyes off of you and start getting your eyes onto the one who's just got like an abundant crop of everything. He's like, it's going off really good for Him. Okay, so back into Mark chapter 6. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. You're like, how many times have I I preached in the past? You know, Jesus comes at 
at the midnight hour, you know, just like at the last minute, it's 11.59 and I have sometimes have joked, you know, he doesn't come at 11.59 p.m. He comes at 11.59 and 59 seconds. Um, <laughs> and Jesus is just like, no, I don't. I'm not even going to come until after 3 a.m. It's like... I'm going to wait until you are absolutely worn out because then I can do what I do. When you can't do what you do anymore, I'm going to take you to the end of your rope so that it can't be about you. Because truth is, you just get in the way. So I'm going to wear you out. I'm going to stay over here. You're going to do it all on your own. Yep. How you like? How you going, guys? Yeah, like we're struggling here. Good. Just stay there for another five. Verse. Oh, sorry. Look at the very end of verse forty-eight. And he, uh, fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. I mean, what do you what do you think? When, How come Pastor Maddie doesn't trip on these things? Just... <laughs> He's just got a better anointing. That's what it is. <laughs> he would have passed them by. This is going to be something that's going to be revolutionary for some of you. In the midst of what you think is your crisis... You might see hope, but it looks like he's going to walk by. He has no intention to walk by. But he is not going to come into your boat before you ask him. He wants to be invited. I'll give you a couple of examples of it. Um, Flip over with me to Luke chapter 24. This, uh, this is after the resurrection. There are two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus and he's, Jesus has met them. They don't know it's him and he gives them this amazing Bible study about the resurrection from the Old Testament. And then in verse 28, it says, then they drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone further but of course, as you know the story, they're just like, look, hey, look, it's getting late. Come, they, they wanted him to be there. He was fully intending to be with them, but he wanted to be invited. My, one of my favourite verses, it's a favourite verse of, uh, of evangelists taken way out of context is uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. That one can go up on the screen. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Like, you know the verse, don't you? It's really, like, you've seen the painting, like the ancient painting of Jesus standing at the door and knocking and there's no doorknob because it has to be opened from the inside. It's just like, it's not talking about salvation. It's not, it's not Jesus standing at the door of your heart. I mean, it's a fair... It's, it's not wrong to say that. Like, I mean, it's by inference, uh, the way the evangelist uses it is fine. But in the context, this was Jesus talking to the Laodicean church. 
And the Laodicean church was the worst church of the whole bang lot of them. They, they, were, they were shockers. Like, like there is nothing Christian going on in that church. It is awful place. And Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Do you know where the door is? It's just there. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, do you want to know something? This is the challenge for all Christians who think that they belong to a dead church. There is no such thing as a church where you cannot meet Jesus. That church does not exist. Yes, this is the worst church you can find and Jesus is not in the room. He has not been welcome. He is not there. This is the, this, if, any, if ever there's a dead church, it's this church here. And Jesus says, if you would open the door, I'll come and eat with you. I won't meet with anybody else, but I'll be there for you. You can find Jesus in a dead church. If you're in a living church, how much more onus on, on us is it to find him and not just become complacent? Oh, this is what we do. Yeah, we just have some, we have some worship. So can, can I be real for a moment? Oh, look, you know, worship goes for a long time. So um, you know what? I just feel like another coffee. I'll just go outside those doors. And I know worship's going on, but look, it's going to take a long time. So when I finish my coffee, I'll have a bit of a chat. I'll come back in here. Like seriously, we can get so blasé. Is that a word that you use over here? If we can get so blasé to the presence of Jesus in our midst that we actually take him for granted. And it might be the flip side of the Laodicean church. The Laodicean church, which was, if you would open the door to, in the dead church, he would come into you. But this is the flip side of it, is that this might be a living church but you, by your complacency, you've put him outside. He's not eating with you. Like, that's frightening, don't you think? Like, Jesus is not the kind of person you leave knocking at the door. Okay, just going to put that one out there. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. It's one of my favourite verses. Pursue love... Desire spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. Pursue after, the, the word for pursue is go hunting. Go hunting after love. Okay, go hunting for places where you need to have love. You know, go into dark places. That's what he's talking about. Go into dark places where you're not going to survive unless you can learn to forgive that person who's right there in front of you. Um, that you can be merciful to that one who does not deserve it. Pursue love, go hunting for it and desire. Now, the, the word desire is, is, it's not, I don't think it's a really brilliant translation. I don't know that there's a good English word to fit there. It's, it's a word 
that is related to boiling, be boiling for spiritual gifts. Well, if God wants to fill me with the Spirit, He can. He's the Lord. Guess what? If that's the attitude, you never get filled with the Spirit. You never do. Oh, if God wants to give me His gifts, He can do that. I'm open. You're not going to get it. You've got to be eagerly desiring, boiling for them. The early, the early guys, you, you, you all talk about like Smith Wigglesworth and guys like that. And, and to be honest, those guys are amazing heroes of faith. But do you know what it was like for them when they came into the living, tangible presence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Those guys prayed for weeks on end, day and night. They would come together and do nothing other than pray one prayer, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And they just didn't say, oh, well, maybe it's not for me. They just like that, they were hungry for it. They understood this one thing, they were desperate for, if God had a gift, then they wanted it. If all the promises of God are yes in Christ, then I want all the promises of God to be yes. And I'm going to pursue them. If, if one of the promises of God is healing, then I'm going to pursue healing to my deathbed. I'll go pursuing it. If God says that He wants to, you know, bless my children, then I'm going to go to my deathbed believing for God to bless my children. I'm not going to give up halfway through. I'm not going to have the winds come buffeting in. I'm worn out from rowing and it's now three o'clock in the morning. Clearly Jesus doesn't care. I'm not going to give up because He will come to me. I'm going to eagerly desire it. I'm going to invite Him in. Okay, so he, he uh, back to our story. Verse 49, he would have passed them by. He would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. Here's, here is the answer to their every need and they're frightened by it. Jesus doesn't always look like what you think he's going to look like and he doesn't always come in the fashion that you think he's going to. All right. And they cried out. Verse 50, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. My, my language, uh, it's okay, it's me. Um, it is I. It is I is actually technically correct English. Um, but I have bad English, so I say it's me. And I don't say be of good cheer. I say, take it easy, take it easy, it's me, don't be afraid. When Jesus speaks, it changes everything. Don't be afraid, they were afraid. They were afraid because they thought he was a ghost. The reason why they think he's a ghost is because they have a Jewish superstition that arose from a couple of centuries before Christ, it's not Bible, there's a superstition of theirs that demons live in water and this is the Sea of Galilee and there's a storm just came on the, on the water. Yeah, of course there's going to be a storm. The demons are trying to kill us and Jesus came walking on the water. 
Well, clearly, it's a demon because this is where they live. Jesus is doing two miracles there. One, he's walking on water, physically impossible, by the way. Um, But he's doing it because what's impossible with man is possible with God. Okay, so he's walking on water, first miracle. Second miracle, he is walking above the domain of demons. He's showing them all, I am above it all. I'm not worried. I'm not worried by this storm. I'm on top of it all. I'm not even getting wet. Okay. Don't be afraid. Verse 51, then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marvelled. You know, you often see the disciples and people in the Gospels marvelling at Jesus. There are only two times, I'm not going to look them up, there are only two times that Jesus marvels. One of them was in Nazareth where he couldn't do any great miracle because of their unbelief. And Jesus marvelled at their unbelief. The only other time, it's recorded twice in the synoptics, it was the centurion uh, who just said, look, you don't need to actually physically come, Jesus. If you just said, be healed out into the atmosphere, it'll happen. And uh, Jesus marvelled. He says, I've never seen faith like this amongst all the Bible people. Bible people don't believe like this. And this is a centurion. This, this is Italian. And, uh, and look, look at that. That is faith. And he marvels. Jesus marvels twice in the scripture. Once at faith and once at unbelief. And uh, the faith that he marveled at is because it came from an unexpected place. It wasn't one of God's people. And the Unbelief that he marvelled at is because it did come from God's people and they should have known better. Verse 52. And they marvelled. Here's the thing. Just, it's unfortunate that our Bible actually is broken up into chapters and verses because we tend to put full stops after verses. And so you'll notice Uh, on the verse that's on the screen, um, verse 52, it's, it's like it's the beginning of a new sentence. It's actually not. Let me read it in context so that you can actually hear what, what is being said here. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marvelled for they had not understood about the loaves. The reason why they were marvelling is that they misunderstood something about the loaves. That was the previous miracle. Guys, it was only last night that you saw this massive miracle, a massive miracle that fed thousands of people, a massive miracle that reflected back on the time of Moses when he gave manna to his people. He was there in the cloud by day and the fire at night. He led them through the wilderness. He fed them quail. He gave them water. He gave them manna, bread from heaven. It's so profound a time that even in the Psalms, they reflect on it. That just like, do you remember the time when God gave us 
manna from heaven. He gave us bread from heaven. And, and Jesus is just, well, Mark is saying this. They had not, the reason why they marvelled is that they had not understood what they, what they had, was right there in front of their face. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the manna from heaven. He is the answer to everything. I know you're in the boat. I know you think he's a ghost. And now you've heard him. You don't need to marvel like, what? Like, this should now be obvious to you. He is God's answer to every situation you find yourself in. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. And then it goes on, the beginning of the very next verse. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. Hey, newsflash, this is nowhere near Bethsaida. Jesus was, Jesus was on the coast feeding 5,000 people. He said, get in the boat, go over to Bethsaida. They, go, they start going out there, there's a massive storm and they're just trying to keep afloat and they have no idea that they are not going north anymore. They're heading straight across, miles away to the other side, over to Gennesaret. Just because Jesus called you to one place doesn't mean that's your eternal destination. You've got to let the wind lead you. You've got to let the Spirit blow. Sometimes it's not comfortable when He does, but you've got to let Him blow. Sometimes it will feel like a storm hit you and you ended up where you didn't think you were going to. That does not mean that you've missed it. Your people of the Spirit, your people of the wind, we blow, we blow with the wind. And so just because he calls you into one path doesn't mean that for the next 50, 60 years that will be this, your story forever. You've got to be open to him moving. Pastor Zach said uh, during the worship time, it's just like sometimes when they were in the wilderness, the cloud just camped and they were there for years. And then other times, they're just like they camp and they're only there for a couple of days. Oh, great. Now we've got to pack up our tents again, get all this work and keep going. It's just like you don't know if you're coming or going when you were back there in those 40 years, but you're being led by the Spirit. So long as you just stay being led by the Spirit, you're going to be fine. Sometimes it takes you into a place where it's, it's hard and you're going to have to believe for God to break through for you. That's a good place to be in because now you can see the, the, the glory of God at work in your life. You get to have an amazing testimony and a victory story. Other times he'll take you to places where it's easy going and it'll be like a bit of a respite for you. Other times he'll just take you to other places. It's a great place, but we're just too busy. We're just flat out, like all of it. He's, it's all going to be good so long as we're being led by him. 
They ended up nowhere near their destination. Nowhere near their destination. Everywhere where God intended them to be. So Lord, we just thank You for our church. And Jesus, I hope that You are not outside the door for anyone in this room. And Lord, for those who might be listening or watching online, whether they're in a prison cell or wherever they are, Lord, that you would be with them and they don't leave you outside, but that you're there sitting right beside them, eating with them, being with them. Lord, help us not to be complacent with you where we just take you for granted and we take your presence for granted. Help us, we just wanna change our mind for that because we realise you're far too important. You are far too important. And we want you. It's not just a song we sing. We actually really do want you, Jesus. We want you. We don't have it all worked out. We don't know all the answers, but we want you. We want you. Some of us are in a storm right now, Jesus. We want you. Those of us who are in that storm right now, Lord, we're just going to keep struggling at the oars until we see you walking on the water. And as soon as we see you walking on the water, that's all we want. We just want to be where you are. And whether the end of our day looks nothing like what we expected, we just want to be where you are. And so long as you're with us, Lord, it's all that we ever wanted. So Lord, you say in, in your word that you've given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that we might escape the corruption of the world and be partakers of your very nature. Lord, we want to grab hold of them. We desire them. We're hungry for them. You say that you transform us from glory to glory. So Lord, we embrace that by faith right now. We don't understand how you're going to do it. We don't understand how you're going to get victory in our circumstances. We don't know how you're going to work out some of the messes that we've found ourselves in. But Jesus, we know this. You are in control. And you walk even over the realm of demons completely at peace. So Lord, we, we hunger for you and for your power to be at work in our life. For those of us who are needing breakthroughs and answers, we receive them in Jesus' name. We want them. Lord, for those who are, are powerless and need more of your spirit, all of us, Lord, all of us, all of us need more of your spirit. And Lord, we just repent of not being hungry for more of you. We want more of you. We just want you. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you all. Parents, go and get your kids. Have a great week. Uh, I will see you on Wednesday. And uh, we'll have our senior pastor back at that point. That's going to be a lot of fun. So don't miss it. If not Wednesday, the next Sunday. Oh.
Thank you for tuning in to this service from the Altar Fellowship. We pray that you are impacted powerfully by this message. If you have been personally affected by our ministry and you would like to partner with the Altar as we work to establish the Kingdom of Heaven, please visit our website at www.thealtar.org.